0: Good evening, you're listening to Heartstock Radio. I'm Carol Murphy, your host, and today we have a guest joining us from Canada. In just a moment, she will be with us and tell us all about what she is up to there. She is Kelly Drennan, and she is the founding executive director of Fashion Takes Action, Also, remember that you can find us on Facebook where we post our upcoming and current programs. Um, You can also email us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Clark Grant is in the studio. In just a moment, Kelly will be with us. Welcome to Heartstock Radio. I'm Carol Murphy, your host, and today our special guest is Kelly Drennan. She is the founding executive director of Fashion Takes Action. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Carol. How are things there in Toronto? Uh, You know, we're uh,
1: surviving, I guess. Through, through these difficult times, um, you know, and, and the sunshine helps, but we uh, it's not a sunny day today. It's a bit of a gray day. So yeah. looking forward to uh, having some days of sun to help us through. We're in lockdown here, so mm. it's uh, our third one. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, just when uh, we think we're turning the corner, there's another another crushing wave. I will have to give great kudos to our local health department, and Karen Sullivan has done a fabulous job of getting vaccinations out to those folks who are ready and willing. And I'm very, very grateful for her. Big shout out to Karen. Can you give our listeners just a little intro here, Kelly? What is Fashion Takes Action?
1: So Fashion Takes Action is a nonprofit organization that I started back in 2007, to advance sustainability across the entire fashion system. And so we use that term fashion system because we, we refer to fashion consumers, basically you and I and everybody who wears clothes, as well as the fashion industry. You know, we we realized pretty early on that if we weren't helping consumers understand what options were available, what the impacts of conventional fashion was, that we weren't really helping the industry because the industry obviously needs the customers to be buying uh, the sustainable fabrics and and fashion to basically succeed. So right from the very beginning, we decided that we were going to actually speak to both of those stakeholder groups. Mm,
0: Yes. And, you know, in the past, the guests that we've had on the show, you know, that's kind of been... Part of my question too, are we addressing the sustainability issues in fashion from a consumer standpoint or from the production side? So that's pretty exciting that you that you're doing that. So were you always from Canada? Did you grow up in Toronto? Where did you? Where did you? I grew up just, uh, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, definitely uh, born and bred Canadian. I grew up just outside of Toronto, and I've been living in Toronto downtown now for just over twenty years. Um, and uh, you know, went to school uh, also just within the province of Ontario. I did a degree in English and Sociology. I really love it. I love Toronto. It's a really great city. And it is really the, the epicenter for fashion here in Canada, even though we do have Montreal and Vancouver also are big, you know, uh, fashion centers in this country. So how did you get into fashion?
0: Even though your degree mm-hmm. was, you, you have a double degree, that's yes. not really related to
1: fashion. I'm I'm curious. Yeah. So I did a postgrad in, in journalism, which actually led me to advertising funny enough and then when I was in advertising I was working at a magazine and I started to get to understand plus with my degree what was happening on the on the sort of you know editorial side of things and started working with a lot of small fashion businesses in Toronto and realized that you know they were in need of Press, like you know, and, and constantly asking me, their advertising rep, how they would get, how they could get press, and so I realized that there weren't a lot of fashion publicists at the time working with these smaller independent designers, and so I left the advertising world and started my own PR and event planning company. So really, primarily working with various fashion designers from you know plus size to children's clothing, lingerie, like a high-end fashion that would show at fashion weeks. And so really got to know the industry better and the behind the scenes, particularly as we started doing more and more events and fashion weeks. And that's really where I, my eyes were kind of opened up a little bit more to the excess, you know, and, and how much effort, money and resources would, would go into these Three or four minute runway shows. How much waste was, you know, a result of these shows from the bottled water piling out of the garbage bins to all uh, the electricity and lighting used for the runway and the hair and the makeup. And it just really became quite overwhelming to me. And that was, I think, my first aha moment in terms of like, I have to do something different here. In the
0: sustainability piece, were you, Eco always when when did that light bulb come on for you? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I I've always had an inner hippie. I think growing up, I um my parents were very outdoorsy. We, you know, would camp a lot and go to cottages and you know, and then and then eventually as you know, and then I did some traveling before I had kids and I think that was also from a from a social impact perspective, but also from waste, seeing like mountains of garbage and plastic burning in in the hills of, in Thailand, and realizing you know we created this problem, you know, and and for these developing countries. So I think that combination, and then having kids for me was also a really sort of emerged myself into more of a sustainable lifestyle, you know, just from the moment I was pregnant in terms of what I was eating and what I was putting on my body to them they're born and what am I feeding them? What am I putting on their bodies? And even then what am I the floors with because they're crawling and putting their fingers in their mouths. And so it was this sort of slower kind of progression. And then really when I had my second daughter, so I had a two-year-old and a newborn and I saw Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth and I was like, okay, this is it. It's time. It's time for me to do something about this industry. Um, started, you know, just to dig in and really learn about what the impacts were. Um, It was really hard then in 2007 to find a lot of data, but yeah, that was really the entry point for me. Where all
0: did you travel and and what sorts of things did you see? You mentioned Thailand and um, any other impactful moments
1: in your travels? No, I think, you know, we did spend a month in Thailand, so we did cover the the country sort of from top to bottom. And, and, you know, I think other travels that I had, I was lucky enough to travel to New Zealand and Australia, but, you know, not quite the same experience as uh, as a developing country. Yeah, I think, you know, it was really just, I think that exposure to, you know, the the poverty, the lack of support, that is provided in these in these countries around. Like, I mean, really, it was the garbage that would that would just stand out to me—the smell of it, the sight of it. You know, you're, we're on a train traveling province, to province, and and seeing these out the window, just these piles and piles of plastic burning, and you know the toxic fumes that are coming off of this, and there's kids playing nearby, and just that really, I think for me, made me really start to think about how, you know, I'd lived a pretty insular life, I think, in terms of, you know, living in North America and having to travel around North America, but that was my first real exposure to what conditions were in other countries, and then particularly how the Western world has impacted these people and and their lives. And J.D.,
0: can you talk a little bit about the history of your organization, you know, when it was started, and kind of bring us up to speed to, to where
1: we are today. Yeah. So, so it was 2007, as I mentioned, I had these two small children. I seen an inconvenient truth. I felt compelled to do something as a publicist and as an event planner for the fashion industry. I decided to host a green gala event that was a fundraiser that would bring awareness, that would you know bring together the top designers in Canada who were showing up fashion week, but get them fabric that was sustainable and have them make a few outfits for this for this runway show and really bringing the environmental community together with the fashion industry and the media. And my goal was really just to do this once a year, raise some money, raise some awareness, and continue being a publicist. And, you know, I learned pretty early on, though, that there was a right way and a wrong way to produce a sustainable fashion show. You know, you couldn't just show sustainable clothing on the runway, you had to think about every single aspect of that event from the food and beverages that are served, to the decor element, to even the items that were in our silent auction, you know, making sure they were all eco-friendly and sustainable. Even the lighting was LED. We even had a carbon offset company offset it. So that was a real, for me, deep learning opportunity. And, and as a result, there was a ton of press and my phone literally was ringing off the hook from coast to coast. Designers, even in the U.S., asking me, you know, is this such a thing as eco-friendly thread or where can I find the cycle buttons? <laughs> and I, I didn't know any of this. I thought, oh, I'm a publicist. You're the expert. Like, you know, <laughs> right. Well, so I just started digging and I was like, yeah, I can see how frustrating it might be for these designers who, you know, are really passionate about this, but there's no resources out there. So I went to all the different existing Canadian fashion industry organizations and said, hey, you know, I think this is a movement and, and I think that it would serve you well and your members well to have some sort of a green, because even sustainability wasn't a word then really, it was like green everything. So, you know, having a green kind of like division of the organization so that those members who want to learn about, you know, being more environmentally friendly can have some resources that, oh no, that's just, you know, we're not interested. And I was probably, you know, the crazy hippie, you know, back then, um, <laughs> And so just, you know, went on again the next year, did another Green Gala, got a lot more press and awareness. And then it was 2009 on Earth Day that we actually launched as a members-based organization. And so at the time, more of an activist, I'd say for sure, and working with the small independent designers because the big brands were not thinking about sustainability at all. And I never in a million years thought I'd be working with some of those big players, but... But over the years, you know, slowly as they started to wake up, we realized that there was a real big opportunity for us. I think in terms of, you know, having the greatest impact, working with those big brands who, you know, represent, you know, 90% of the clothing that's being made presented an opportunity for us. And so we started a World Ethical Apparel Roundtable, so an annual conference to really bring the industry together to bring the small designers, but the big ones as well, and, and global leaders to share best practices and really kind of foster a community for the Canadian industry around sustainability, ethics, and circularity. And so today, you know, seven years later, we're, we're still going strong, even though we can't have those conferences in person anymore, but we have have a monthly webinar series that tackles a bunch of different topics, and and our audience has become quite global because of you know the fact that we are all online now. And still work with the small independent designers to some degree, but uh, but a lot of our focus has shifted on some bigger picture and more of a systems change approach. I'd say that we've taken you know we really understand our role in this space is to identify the barriers that exist both from a consumer perspective and from an industry perspective, and then do what we can to find solutions to those barriers and really break them down and, and get us to accelerate towards a level of action that we really need. You know, the clock is ticking. And yeah, it's time, it's time to take action for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you mentioned
0: COVID. Are there any silver linings to this COVID cloud that we all fi-
1: are mm-hmm. finding ourselves in these days? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, it definitely impacted us. We have a school program that we deliver to students that are aged 8 to 17. So it's really unique. Uh, I think even globally, no one's really talking to them that young about the impact of fashion. And we were going into the classroom and doing these workshops a half day or even a full day. So of course now, We had to pivot uh, (laughs) last year to figure out how do we still offer this enriched programming and empower future consumers and climate leaders, really, but in a virtual or digital way. So, you know, the fact that we've now, a year later, have a suite of products that can be delivered virtually is exciting for us because we're not so limited geographically anymore in terms of where we can deliver the program because. Anybody can access the information now from across Canada or even anywhere in the world. So that's something that we we didn't foresee happening, but um, was was kind of a nice thing. And then the other one was the conference. You know, as I mentioned before before COVID, I mean, 80 percent of our audience was Canadian. Now it's about 45 percent Canadian, 25 U.S., and about 30 international. And the numbers have tripled. So in terms of, you know, physically attending the conference, now virtually attending the conference, we're, we're reaching a wider audience. And so I'd say those are the two that really stand out for me. You know, it's interesting, your question, because I'm always trying to kind of focus on the silver linings in this. It's what gets us through, I think, some of these harder times. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: I agree. Mm-hmm. And and there are some, you know, as tragic and difficult as these times have been for many many folks there are some Mm -hmm. some upsides you know and uh, that Mm -hmm. definitely helps me as well kelly i can relate so we're going to take our midway point break here in just a moment we will be back with kelly drennan of fashion takes action Mm Welcome back to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today we are speaking with Kelly Drennan of Fashion Takes Action, and she is actually speaking with us from Toronto. Hi again, Kelly. Hi, Carol. It's remarkable, you know, we've become such a global community of folks, you know, And I think that's uh, what you were just touching on. You know, one of the impacts of COVID is that we we really have in many, many ways realized just how globally we all are connected, regardless of Mm -hmm. our nationality. And there in in Canada, I'm curious, uh, especially in, in Toronto, what is the fashion industry like there compared to, say, New York or L.A.? You know, and kind of proportionally, is it is it growing? What size is it?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely like I mentioned, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver tend to be really the three cities here in Canada that that have uh, you know successful fashion industries. It's growing for sure. and I think even more so from a sustainability perspective, we have a lot of designers who make locally who are now sourcing sustainable fabrics. There's a lot that are doing some upcycling, but, you know, to compare it to the U S it's sort of like, well, we're, you know, you're 10 times the population of us. So I'd say that, you know, we're probably a 10th of the size of the industries in both LA and New York. And our fashion week has never really been, you know, what we see in, in New York and LA and Paris or Milan or London, but and, and now it's actually, even before COVID, it was put on pause. You know, a lot of these fashion weeks have been rethinking that model. And as, as I earlier stated in terms of that, my experience with fashion weeks, and I think COVID maybe has got people even thinking further now about how sustainable fashion weeks really are and, you know, all the flying that the that the media does around the world, going to all of these different shows and and really for, you know, like I said, a five-minute presentation that could all be done much differently and with a lighter carbon footprint. So, you know, I think the the Toronto industry here is, is, it's very, it's big. It's not, you know, just limited to designers though. We've got stylists and models and sewers and like tailors and um, manufacturers and pattern makers. And there's a lot going on here. And we have a few pretty decent fashion schools too. So there's a lot of emerging designers and you know and a lot of those programs have a focus on sustainability which is really great so I've had a chance to speak to uh, a lot of the students in those in those different courses around the impact of fashion and hopefully inspiring them to, to take a more sustainable focus when they do decide you know uh, start a collection
0: and how are you funded have you bootstrapped this whole thing yourself pretty
1: much yes uh-huh. um <laughs> you know the first the first uh, decade I'd say I was a volunteer full-time, everybody was volunteers. And and then only in the last four or five years have we really been able to, you know, get some government grants and really convince the government that this industry is important. It does represent a decent, from a, from a GDP perspective, but also from an environmental impacts perspective. And where we really got the attention from both municipal federal and, and provincial levels of government was was around the waste, you know, because we don't manufacture a ton here in Canada anymore, but we do dispose of our clothing here in Canada. And so all of these textiles that are ending up in the landfill, you know, mun- municipalities have to now deal with. And so it's been really interesting that sort of our journey around circularity, reuse and recycling for the industry and and working with those different levels of government to try and address, um, you know, how do we get these textiles out of the landfill? And then what do we do with them once we've managed to get them out of the landfill? So that's mostly how we get funded. And then sponsorships as well. Um, There's a lot of really great service providers, solutions providers that are out there that I think we, in Canada, you know, it's, it's. I don't want to say the word laggard, but definitely slower to engage in sustainability from the bigger brands. But I'd say, you know, in the last four years, we've seen some pretty good progress. A lot of them are still too shy to talk about it, which frustrates me. But because I have personal relationships with them, I know that they're doing things. And because of that, there's this sort of hunger appetite really for for knowledge, for solutions and so it's really great because we know we can connect all of those solutions providers now with the industry here and say, hey like these guys really need your help you need to you know whether that's uh, a technology or, or some innovation that they have, whether it's a new fabric or uh, a tool that they can use to to trace their supply chain there's no shortage really of solutions that are out there for the industry so we're really proud to kind of be able to connect those players together.
0: And that's a good segue to the next question. Who are your partners? Any organizations or folks in particular that you'd like to give a um, a mention of here that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, I think globally we're connected in with a number of different organizations. There's in the US, Accelerating Circularity and the Textile Exchange both fantastic organizations, you know, over in the UK, there's the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and in Europe, there's Fashion for Good and the UK parade is also Fashion Revolution. So Canada, we were Canada's Fashion Revolution country coordinator for the first four years that that organization was running. And that was in a response to the Rana Plaza factory collapse that happened in in Bangladesh in 2013 that killed 1,100-plus garment workers. So we've been really connected, I think, on a global level with a lot of those organizations. And then, you know, locally as well, there's an organization called Inland that really supports the whole Made in Canada movement that's really growing a number of designers that aren't now just locally making their, their collections, but they're actually taking it many steps further in terms of sourcing sustainable materials. You know, but it's interesting in Canada that we don't really have any one industry organization that really unites our members the way that the U.S. does or the U.K. So we really are, there's a few of us now talking about this idea of a fashion council and and how do we do that? And so in the meantime, we're happy to bring together a lot of these brands from coast-to-coast in series of workshops and webinars for them to be able to really learn from each other. Um, there's a lot of learning and sharing that could be happening that, that isn't. And so we really see ourselves as being that sort of hub of being able to to offer that kind of a space for the fashion community here in Canada. And so there's a number of, you know, and then there's the Retail Council of Canada and the Canadian Apparel Federation, who we are often in contact with as well. But yeah, I think, you know, ultimately comes down to, I have an incredible staff and I have an incredible board of directors. And I really do credit a lot of our success to having been fortunate enough to be surrounded by an amazing network of people and mentors.
0: And what does the future hold for Fashion Takes Action and, and for yourself?
1: Yeah, I love this work. You know, obviously, I did it for ten years without being paid, and so I'm very passionate about it. And I think that we're going to continue working closer with industry. We have an employee engagement program that we're um, developing right now to help a lot of these retailers who have, you know, employees down at the at the retail level who aren't really aware of what the company is doing or why. And yet they're being asked by customers questions around sustainability and they don't know how to answer them. So I think we'll be looking at working closer with brands on on that level and helping those employees. And then, you know, we're also going to start a series of um, professional development for SMEs because there's a lot of designers who... Small and medium-sized enterprises. Uh-huh. Um, so once they graduated and had started, there's not really a support network out there for them with a focus on sustainability. So we want to really try and help foster them and their growth and development and and help them succeed. And you know, and then I think the digitization of our school program is going to only continue and widen and. Our focus is really just on reaching as many youth as we possibly can because they are the future, they are future climate leaders and fashion is a fun and relatable topic for them to understand a lot of these bigger picture climate issues. So I think we're just going to continue growing that program and trying to bring it to other countries and reach as many children as we possibly can.
0: Gosh, you know, when I was reading up on what you're doing, I was really impressed by that because there's quite honestly, there's not a lot of that going on. And I think it's super smart. But I'm wondering, in addition to maybe being more inclusive to younger ages, what advice do you have for other organizations working in, in the sustainable fashion realm or even sustainable business in general?
1: I think I follow your passion, right? if if that's something that you really do believe in and hopefully the majority of us do when we care about our planet, I think it's important though, really in this in this area, if you want to position yourself as as an expert is to know the facts you know I think some sometimes, especially in the fashion industry, like i for example, I still hear people referring to it as the second largest polluter after oil. But about four years ago, that statement has been retracted because nobody could really trace it back to a source, a credible source. So, you know, I think it's really important to do your homework, to know the facts, particularly if you have a position of influence where you're, you're sharing these facts and then people are going on and sharing those facts. So I think that's really important. But at the end of the day, sustainability or not, I think, as, as I mentioned before, comes down to your community, your network, and surrounding yourself with like-minded people and mentors who have your back, you know, and who can support you because it's, it's a different time now than it was 14 years ago when I was starting. It was, it was, it's now a lesson, I think, of an uphill battle mm-hmm. to convince people that climate change is real or that sustainability matters, but I still think it's really important to have those people really close at hand. Indeed. And how might
0: folks find you, Kelly?
1: Oh, we're on Instagram and at Fashion Takes Action and Facebook at Fashion Takes Action. (laughs) Um, I'm personally on LinkedIn. I'm always really open to, I think that's how we met. Um, And so, yeah, definitely open and approachable. I'm always interested in meeting new people and having these kinds of conversations. Thank you so much
0: for being our guest on Heartstock. And as usual, we will be back next week. This is Heartstock. Once again, thanks to Kelly. Thank you for having me.
1: Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org.
0: I saw a sign there sign it said no trespassing but on me